Hello, everyone, and welcome to Record Search and Rescue, the podcast where we talk about recorded history and old pieces of paper and other stuff like that. I'm your host, Madeline Bognar Banks, and today we're going to continue our conversation on Roger K. Smith. Um, so, by conversation, I mean me talking to a microphone and you listening later. Um, so, to recap the first part of this episode, Roger was a consul for the British Army and he wrote about humanitarian atrocities in the Belgian Congo and in rubber production in South America. Um, he came back to Ireland and was greatly involved in the Irish nationalist movement, trying to get German military support in order to shake off the British rule in Ireland. So, he returned from Germany but was unable to flee prosecution um, because of his illness. And um, I believe it was malaria, right? Yeah. And um, he was arrested in County Kerry in April 1916. So today we're going to get into the trial and those diaries of his. So let's get started. I posted this on the Facebook page, but um, just so y'all know, uh, the entire text of this trial and the following appeal is online, um, will be included in the sources posted on Patreon. And the trial begins with an introduction that accuses Casement of, quote, landing with several companions in circumstances indicating an attempt to run men, arms, and ammunition with the intention of raising rebellion in Ireland. Uh, then they go on. To review his accomplishments in the consular services and his reports, saying there was no inclination that he was going to be involved in such seedy doings, in their opinion. Um, so, uh, and they called they referred to them as quote popular movements in Ireland, um, end quote, and uh, basically just kind of referring to them as a fad, um, even though this has basically been <laughs> happening for the entire the entire time. Um, they discuss uh, movements in Germany, um, him trying to get all of these uh, prisoners of war in Germany, all that kind of stuff that we talked about last week. Um, so they just reiterate that. Um, and we have a really funny statement. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny. Um, so they say, quote, for the time being, however, it was sufficiently startling to hear that a British subject and former official of the government could be engaged in an enterprise, whatever it might be, which bore on its face the ugly look of treachery and treason. So this this is, I thought this was hilarious, because it just seems so dramatic. Um, and I guess it was kind of a dramatic thing, so that's fair enough. Um, so they go on to say that Casement's landing on April 21st and the events of the April 24th Easter Rising uh, clearly show that he was expected to conspire in the actions of the rebellion. Uh, they then mention his uh, German cruiser full of uh, ammunition that had been intercept intercepted and um, was lying at the bottom of the sea. So basically last time we talked about um, I talked about, myself and I, uh, talked about how he was bringing a bunch of military, uh, material equipment, whatever, and um, yeah, they intercepted it. Uh, and I also said that he was not involved in really the planning of the Easter Rising, but this was not to say that he really wouldn't have participated, because I'm pretty sure he would have. Um, 
didn't get the chance though. Anyways, so um, the Attorney General, uh, so F.E. Smith, and the office for Francis, uh, was the one who provided this sort of outline of Casement's career, did this whole introduction, um, and you'll see that online. Yeah, there's online, there's also like a big list of everybody who testified for the prosecution and um, all sorts of fun information like that. So I would really give it a read. It's interesting. You can actually like find all this stuff. The diaries, very difficult to access online, obviously, but it's case, no problem. Anyways, <laughs> back to uh, what I was talking about. So Francis was, um, Francis Smith was the one who provided the outline and he was like sort of the head of the prosecution. Um, he described the recruitment of Irish prisoners in Germany, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the RTE um, has a lovely image of the admission ticket to to this trial available on their website. Um, and it's accompanied with a news publication from May 1916. Uh, it'll be on the sources list as well. There's also um, some extra links uh, related to Roger Casement that are linked to that, um, which I would give a read to. It's pretty fun. So the, the trial apparently attracted like a rec an extraordinary amount of people in London. Uh, the courtroom was hella full. Um, there's some other news publications that have a lot of images of Roger Casement looking all sharp and beardy in a suit. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of good photographs from the trial. I would give that a search if I were you. Um, and obviously I'll be posting some of them in the sources. Um, this trial is interesting because the British government decided to go with a full civil trial. Um, and this is because they wanted to have kind of a spectacle of Casement's downfall from, from being this like, you know, great servant to the British, British army, um, to being so subversive to them. Um, and so even though Casement would have preferred, preferred a court-martial trial, like a lot of other rebels received at the time, um, this wasn't going to be the case because they really wanted to make a show out of um, his prosecution. Now the defense was arranged by uh, solicitor Gavin Duffy, but many refused to be sort of tainted by Casement's act, actions, and uh, they didn't want to represent him, which happens, you know. Uh, so Duffy's own brother, um, well, his brother-in-law, Alexander Martin, um, Alexander Martin Sullivan, eventually agreed to take Casement's case because he was he was already established in Ireland, but he wanted to become a bit more, um, get a bit more clout in British law circles. Um, so some other lawyers that ended up being on the defense were Artemis Jones, Professor J.F. Morgan, and the American lawyer Michael Francis Doyle. Um, so a lot of these people were experts in uh, constitutional law, and um, they were there to sort of look for technical loopholes, but we're going to get into that in just a second. Um, so Effie Smith, uh, Francis, who I talked about earlier, um, he led the prosecution alongside uh, Archibald Bodkin and Travers Humphreys. So the trial took four days, um, and it took place at the King's Bench before three senior judges. Um, and again, this is described as a huge public spectacle and is used for serious, serious high treason cases. Many, the main defense in this trial 
was that casement wasn't doing anything subversive to the British crown on British soil. So that was the technicality that they were kind of going for. Um, instead of saying, like, hey, this guy totally didn't do any of that stuff. Because, um, I mean, he kind of did. It's like, <laughs> you know, he was obviously, like, trying to be subversive to the British crown because he wanted Ireland to be free. So um, they were sort of saying that the acts he was being accused of weren't applicable under the statute um, that was in a 1351 act. Um, that the prosecution was bringing up. So they were sort of protesting the specific thing that the prosecution was bringing up on a technicality. Um, so this is uh, where it gets kind of interesting because Casement didn't want to do this kind of roundabout way. He wanted to, um, well, he was being helped by George Bernard Shaw. Uh, you might have heard that name before. He was an Irish playwright activists among a lot of other things. Uh, Casement had intended to use the publicity from the court trial to make a big speech declaring Ireland's cause and why they should be free from Britain and all of that stuff. Um, and his friends were like, well don't do that because um, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and, and they also felt that the, the cross-examination would be hella brutal. So they thought like it would provoke just a torrential downpour from the prosecution that would be intense and um and they would rain down upon him and um they were also concerned that this kind of intense cross-examination would bring his personal diaries into the public arena um so what were these diaries there were rumors of these diaries being circulated um why were they so concerning for him to have in the public domain uh to put it straightly, the diaries were Casement's personal ones. Uh, there were two bound uh, volumes, and they were said to have accounts of a number of sexual encounters with other men uh, and dealing, detailing explicit, um, even if slightly coded, descriptions of their activities together and uh, these other men's physical anatomies. So he would write about people in measurements. Um, and there would be some excerpts discussing shaving habits and sexual acts on his stop-off journey. Uh, so, so on his stop-offs uh, when he was going to the Congo. Um, <laughs> the interest of not being flagged is like hella explicit. I'll leave it there. But uh, there's an article in the Irish Times, which I will put on the sources list, that has some um, direct samples. And it'll sort of be like, you know, 12 inches this. Anyways, it's, it's pretty interesting, um, and it will sort of make you giggle a little, um, just just because of the coded nature of it. I just find it funny, but maybe that's just me. Um, maybe I'm just a 13-year-old. Who knows? Uh, the diaries were, yeah, they were in two volumes and referred to as the Black Diaries and the White Diaries. So the Black Diary um, was written in pen, and uh, the white one was written in pencil. Um more towards the time of the Kutamayo trip where he was losing his vision. Um, because of the vision loss and the use of pencil, the white diaries are pretty difficult to decipher um, as his handwriting also became more, more muddled. So we're just gonna take a little jingle break here um, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> 
Okay, so why were these diaries that important um, other than like kind of sort of trying to make him look bad? Um, that was the main important thing. So they were circulating, um, the importance of the diaries to the court were that they were circulating passages from the diaries um, in the public sphere and with, um, within people, important people in society at the time. Um, and the passages were meant to show Casement as delinquent, that he wasn't respecting the law, that he was a deviant person, and, and like if he could do that, he could do anything, um, that sort of thing. So because he was such a respected British servant in the past, um, like they were really focusing on like, what a downfall for this great man, and like he was secretly always bad. Um, so they, it was in the interest of the British government that his reputation should take that hit, uh, and the man should be seen as sexually deviant. Um, and like if you can be deviant one way, you could be deviant another. Anyways, so Casement's defense decided to go with a more technical route of saying he was out of jurisdiction for the prosecution's argument to stand. Um, and there was apparently, like, there was a one, one point where the prosecution was interested in um, entering the diaries into evidence, but we'll talk about that in, in just a second. Um, so Casement's defense they try to go to the tech they go the technical route the idea was not that the defense really believed that this would be super effective and actually work um which doesn't seem like a great way to like go in on things but i guess like like as i as i said he he did look they were trying to be subversive to the british crown but he believed it was for a very good reason freedom of ireland so it's hard to sort of defend that to the british crown you know what I'm saying? Um, so, the, it, like, I mean, it, like, you can kind of see it both sides. Um, I feel like the British monarchy isn't, wasn't going to just be like, you know what? We're just, you're so right. We should just give, give Ireland up. Because I feel like <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, you know, the Brits weren't, weren't, gonna, weren't big on that. But, <laughs> but that's a horse of a different color and an argument for another day. Uh, because, um, and they had, they had, this had been a fight going on for years. Um, this is obviously something I'm not going to be able to cover, but, um, yeah, uh, reading more into early modern Irish history, um, Ulster uprisings, um, might be really interested, interesting if you're interested in, in the conflict between the British government and Ireland, um, in, in a nationalist sense. Anyways. Uh, the point for the defense was to work for a conviction um, and and some sort of public outrage or whatever was possible um, and to get a kind of reprieve. Um, so this, as I was just saying, this was not the first uh, uprising in Irish history to say the least. And therefore Casement was not like, he's not the first one to be on trial like this. Um, so unsurprisingly, he was convicted as guilty. And the interesting thing uh, that I found when reading this was that the, yeah, so the prosecution wanted to enter the Black Diaries into evidence, and I touched on this two seconds ago. Um, so this was an order to give him some kind of sentence as being guilty but insane. So they wanted to declare his homosexuality as proof of insanity, 
um, and this would convict him, but um, would save his life. So he flat out refused to have his diaries entered into evidence. Um, and that's where it kind of like even more mystery began. Like, what do you have to hide? Um, now, this like could be uh, like contested. It may not be entirely true. I've only read this on a couple of different sources, so it wasn't super everywhere. So just FYI. Uh, now, even after his conviction, um, people who supported him were his friends, all that, saying there's a chance that the cabinet would grant him um, a reprieve, which the defense was looking for, obviously. So if people were influential and there was support present, like a petition for clemency and all of that, then there was much more likelihood that it would be granted, um, and Casement was influential for sure. Uh, he had friends, so it wasn't necessarily a lost cause at that point. Like, it was bad, but I don't know how too bad. Um, so a bunch of people uh, turned out in support for the appeal of clemency. I'm going to rattle off some names now. We got George Bernard Shaw, Arthur Conan Doyle, Douglas Hyde, Eva Gore Booth, uh, Cardinal Logue, Alice Stopford Green, and William Butler. So if you're like me, I've lost any kind of recognition after the name Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, that's cool. The rest of the cool, uh, the crew, the cool crew, <laughs> were mainly Irish scholars and historians, poets, suffragettes, um, and Casement's own legal representation, uh, as well as there were some Catholic Church representatives from Ireland. Um, I know we talked about this last time, uh, but, you know, Casement did kind of he, he did side more with the Catholic um, religion in Ireland, and um, he was baptized as Catholic as a child. His mom obviously wanted to, him to be baptized as Catholic, and um, so they definitely so, like they supported him, and um, yeah. So kind of a decent bag, uh, and, he, and they had some standing. This kind of a bummer because a lot of people um, refused to support his clemency. Uh, the rumors and passages uh, purportedly taken from his diaries uh, had put people against him um, because people, there was obviously a stigma about homosexuality at the time. Um, I mean, there's still stigmas about homosexuality today, so I couldn't even imagine at the time, um, which is. Kind of a bummer. Anyways, uh, the Home Office's legal advisor was responsible for quote quote leaking the diaries and um, preparing a bunch of documents trying to make people enthusiastic about hanging Casement. So the reprieve was not granted either. And Casement was hung on August 3rd, 1916. So we're just gonna Because uh, there were a lot of people who were unwilling to accept that the Black Diaries were in fact authentic documents, that they were 
Uh, so there are accusations that the British government circulated fraudulent documents to damage Casement's reputation as much as possible and stop people who may have supported his appeal. So here's where it gets archival. Um, there have been a few different examinations of the diaries. Some men who claimed to have known his handwriting were confirming that these were his um, diaries. They were written by him, and that this will be in that Irish Times source uh, that will be on the Patreon uh, reading list. Um, so to so to prove their authenticity, um, they were just sort of like, oh, I know his writing. Well, that's his writing. Um, so just for clarification, authenticity and archives are records management really just wants to um, examine the record, its provenance, where it's been, who's had their paws on it, and verify that this document, these diaries, these papers, uh, are what they purport to be. So are these diaries Roger Casement's diaries? Um, and it sounds really simple, um, but it's not. So it's <laughs> way less straightforward than that than one may think, um, because, you know, as I said, the guy, you can't just have someone be like, well, I know this guy, and he's that guy. Uh, it's not going to work like that. So one of these examinations um, of the diaries to prove authenticity was conducted by the Giles Laboratory and Professor W.J. McCormick. Um, and so she was tasked with reviewing the diaries and checking authenticity. This was conducted in 2002, uh, by the way, and it was decided that she decided, yes, they're authentic. But there were a lot of fundamental problems with this investigation. So first, a lot of people were immediately uh, declaring it improperly set up because there was there was a goal inside of proving the authenticity instead of it just being impartial. Um, and this is, you know, where it gets sort of how, how can you have someone come in and be fully impartial? It's very difficult. I feel for any human being to be impartial, but that's just me. Um, also, in the feature about the Black Diaries in the History of Ireland, which is a scholarly journal, um, obviously based on Ireland and their history, as you can tell from the title, um, it's stated in the Giles report that many of the tests were not carried out. Um, so the researcher hadn't carried out certain tests because she had, quote, already foreseen the results of those tests without performing them. So it's like, sorry friend, that's super not how science works. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people like don't see this as a science even though there's a serious amount of forensics that uh, can go into these analysis. Um, but if you don't do the test, um, people aren't going to take it very seriously. Uh, and then there's very li little regulated policy about conducting these investigations. Um, you know, there's nothing like, you have to do step A, and then following step A, you can go to step B. And if step B comes out this way, you go to step C. You know, um, they're just sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to do what I think is right. And you're like, oh, well, that may not fly with a lot of other people. So... Um, lapses like this can definitely happen. Anyways, um, just for the last little bit, I just wanted to return to the case for the hottest of minutes. I want to quickly just talk about um, was the statute that the prosecution brought up in the trial because the defense was that um, he was not in the in the jurisdiction. Whatever. Uh, 
you were all listening, right? Uh, so the funny thing about the, the way this document was written was that there was uh, a close reading of the document, uh, and it suggested that it should be read in an unpunctuated Norman French text um, that was apparently like the original language for the statute, for this text, for the statute, whatever. Um, because of the this, the interpretation of the text in question changed um, the meaning of the statute because it referred to where any acts uh, against the crown were done. So the defense, uh, their little technical detail, their little sort of like, well, he wasn't on British soil, so what's the problem? Um, so that didn't work out. I mean, obviously you know that, but like, this is why. Um, and it's because of this, Casement said himself that he was going to be hanged on a comma. Uh, quote unquote hanged on a comma and I thought it was amazing I, I loved that line um, I thought it was just so funny because here I am researching these diaries being so interesting because you know he was a homosexual a lot of people have reviewed you know casement and this trial um, and, and, and they've called him sort of a homosexual martyr a gay icon um, so yeah and he like it's really interesting to see a lot of people's takes on it, and I'm going to include those in the sources as well. Uh, but I thought, <laughs> personally, uh, that the real records thing, um, on, on a close reading of, of a record, just to interpret it, and, like, they can take the context and make it mean whatever they want it to mean, um, which I thought was hilarious. And also, like, a really big bummer, but, like, it's, it's long past now, so unfortunately... <laughs> I have to take my joy from the record thing, but maybe I'm mean. But anyways, so that is the end of our Roger Casement discussion. Um, quick note: he was he was taken to church right before he was hanged. I believe he was rebaptized uh, in the Catholic Church. And um, yeah, the last episode that we I talked about. Um, his, his original baptism, and then later he gets baptized before he was handing them, so, you know, he, uh, he was accepted into the church, and I, I'd be interested to see how the, how the Catholic Church feels about him now, but this whole uh, Irish gay icon thing, um, further reading, check it out. So, I am Madeline Bognar-Banks, I hope you have enjoyed our Roger Casement um, episodes, and feel free to email with any ideas, questions, or comments, to recordsearchandrescue at gmail.com. Uh, check us out on, uh, check me out. I keep saying us. Um, check me out on Patreon. You can search Record Search and Rescue. That's where the sources will be posted, as well as the episode. Um, we're also on Podbean, CastBox, Apple, iTunes, and all of that jazz. And feel free to donate and support, because, you know, we all need a little bit of support. Um, remember, if life gives you lemons, don't use a comma to write it down because that might screw you in the end. Okay, have a good one, guys. <laughs>